welcome to the final episode in the current series of Play Next, the podcast in partnership with BMW that champions exciting new sounds and the true originals behind them. I'm Edith Bowman and it has been a genuine privilege to spend time with acts at the very top of their game, including Brit, Grammy, Oscar and Mercury Prize winners. You can, of course, listen to all of our previous episodes of Play Next wherever you get your podcasts. Now, today it's the turn of self-esteem and Muramasa. What a double header! Two groundbreaking artists who defy stereotyping by sonically channeling a voice that is uniquely their own. Both are performing at All Points East in the days to come, where it just so happens I will be too, hosting the BMW Play Next stage. Now, if you're lucky enough to have tickets for any of the days, please do pop along to see us. And more importantly, the incredible roster of acts who are at the vanguard of the next generation of musical creatives. We've assembled quite the cast, including former guests on the show, Atahualpa and Sipo. Details of the complete lineup can be found at allpointseastfestival.com. Right, before we hear from Self Esteem and Muramasa, I've got some current releases for you, including the first new music from the 2014 Mercury Prize winners in over four years. Have you worked out who I'm talking about yet? Well, kudos to you if you instantly knew that the 2014 Mercury Prize winners were the exceptional Young Fathers. It's a welcome return for the Scottish trio after that wee hiatus with new standalone single Geronimo, soulful, anthemic and underscored by that characteristic spikiness.
Oh, how good is that? I was giddy when I heard there was new Young Fathers music and I've had that on repeat. Next up, we have Can You Tell by Yumi and the Weather, which is the moniker of Ruby Taylor. Ruby wrote, performed and recorded and produced the track almost in its entirety, which is no mean feat given how wonderfully layered and expansive the resulting aesthetic is.
That's Yumi and the weather. Can you tell what a massive talent Ruby Taylor is? At Yumi the Weather's new album, It's All In My Head, is out in September. Time now to bring in the delightful Rebecca Lucy Taylor, a.k.a. Self-Esteem. The queen of reinvention, Rebecca was formerly one half of folk duo Slow Club before moving in an altogether more flamboyant direction with her new guys back in 2017. She's since won BBC Introducing Artist of the Year, provided the score for Jodie Comer's one-woman play Prima Facie, and been smashing it out of various parks with her festival sets this summer, which have had fans and critics purring alike. Better still, the second of her two acclaimed studio albums, Prioritise Pleasure, has been nominated for this year's Mercury Prize. We are therefore utterly thrilled to welcome her to play next. Well, hello, Rebecca Lucy Taylor, Mercury nominee. Congratulations <laughs> and celebrations. Boom! Thank God. I mean, you were talking about the sort of winding down of this whole kind of campaign <laughs> yeah, and now like, it's like, okay, straight up again. I was saying like how long left of this madness and it was like, well, if you're Mercury nominated, it lasts about, you know, an extra month at least. But if you're not, then you can go on holiday. So I'd convinced myself it was win-win. Obviously, I'm going to carry on working on the idea that I don't need validation from anything <laughs> external, but I did need this. <laughs> so, thank God. Oh, if people haven't seen your beautiful reaction when you come up the stairs of your tour bus on social media, it's just such a, you can see the genuine kind of like, oh, really? Oh, it's lovely. It's like a wee kid, like, you know, kind yeah. of getting the Christmas present they wanted. It's just been a thorn in my side. That first solo record, I was like Bucky's second favourite and stuff. And I never got complacent about it, but I thought, oh, I reckon I will. And I didn't. And it was just like, I just clearly very much struggle with this like outsider mentality or like not quite good enough. And yeah, that one just represented that big time. And now that's gone, you know, I don't have to do anything else. Nothing else has to happen, really. I've done it. Yeah. I proved I could change my life, right? And Mm -hmm. that's very sort of limitless now in me. I'm like, wow, you can really set your sights on something and do it if you if you work hard enough and like try your best yeah. I suppose why do you think this particular album has really resonated has really kind of punched through has really kind of welcomed people know. in Can, yeah I mean it's a, it's a hard question <laughs> I, to answer yeah, I guess I but. wonder you know I wonder without the pandemic would I think it, the pandemic made loads of people reflect on, and stuff on, on themselves and their choices and life and I don't know if that helped everyone get a bit depressed enough to, <laughs> to get it But I also think something in me, that first album, that felt like I was being completely myself, but there was still a bit of me trying to write songs that might get on Radio 1 or might might make a book, you know, and this one I really just stopped bothering to try and do anything because I was like, I just can't do it anymore. I can't do it in my personal life. I can't can't try and be this thing that might see results or whatever. Just like, (laughs) you've just got to start getting comfortable with this. (laughs) And I did that with the music as well. And then I don't know. Old habits die for a couple of weeks and then I start doing them again. This sun is making me feel like I'm missing out on something, but if I went to your barbecue, I'd feel uncomfortable and not be sure what to say anyway. It's like when I go to your birthday drinks to congratulate you being the age I already thought you were, or not. I don't know. It's a miracle I've remembered at all. When I'm buried in the ground, I won't be able to make your birthday drinks, but I will still feel guilty. You see, when the air warms up like this, it brings every single memory of you back, and it makes me so sick I can't breathe. 
sets, I'm still breathing on time. Sometimes I think that's the problem. I want to ask about Babylon Sorceress. <laughs> I mean, oh. what a great reaction to even just saying it in a start. Tell me about Babylon Sorceress and who <laughs> no, no, she is. I'm in like, how, who have and... you been talking to? <laughs> I just, I used to draw this woman. Yeah. And she had long red hair and was this, like a sorceress. And she 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 was very on the outside. When I was a kid, by the way, not like in my 20s. Um, anyway, yeah, I just always, this ma- imagination that, you know, all kids have. But yeah. my early obsession was this character that was this woman that was crazy and wild and didn't fit into society they were always i had all these other games like i had this game that i had this alien that i'd found and i had to keep it secret from the government and (laughs) and the alien was i would double bag bin liners and put put water in and tie it up and it actually makes like quite a solid thing like blob (laughs) I used to roll that around the garden and pretend I was keeping an alien secret. You have get... to write screenplays, <laughs> Becca. You have to write screenplays. But every... And then there was this other game I played with these girls at school called Madeline and Amy and they were princesses in the castle and I was an urchin boy outside. <laughs> and the game was them just coming and feeding me scraps from dinner. Like I, But I created that game. Like I've always had this like, poor me, I'm an outsider <laughs> element to all my art. <laughs> and I wanted to ask if you've still got Brian Mulkel's plectrum. I do on a piece yes! of like weird wire. Yeah. I miss those days. I can't imagine going to a gig and being like, oh, please look at me, you know, about anyone anymore. <laughs> but I remember very passionately hoping Brian Mulca would look at me. <laughs> and I, I can't be sure it was his plectrum even, but it went around my neck for the rest of <laughs> rest of my sixth form year days. But that's you now. That's yeah. people uh, looking at you going, <laughs> I want you to look at me. I know, it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> Do you do that on stage though? Because the different crowds that you play in front of, whether it's your own gigs, like that forum gig was insane in yep. Kentish Town, or whether it's a festival, are you eye contacting? Are you yeah. checking in with people? What's the kind yeah. of journey? I love to look at people. And so often it's like a woman over 30 going, <laughs> and I'm always like, oh, are you all right? I feel bad. I've just always been. I'm really earnest and it's like never been cool to be that. And now it sort of seems to be all right. And I don't have to joke in slow club every two minutes. I'd be like, like Peter K in my way around a situation to, <laughs> to make myself likable or whatever. And love just being able to come out, play my show that I've created and have people enjoy it and, and get something from it. I knew starting from square one again, you've got to do so much convincing of, you you've got to play so many gigs to people who don't know who you are and festivals and things like that like i just knew it needed to be a show it needed to be to get your attention because there's so much music out there so it's, it's like that because I, that was my I, I assumed i'd be playing some nonplussed people for a long time and i've been spoiled because i haven't been <laughs> now and now and again when i am i'm like oh no <laughs> well, well i think it's that thing where i don't know with music there can be so much snobbery around music yeah. and i feel like the healthiest thing about music is you're not being assigned to a genre. I watched it transmit and I sort of watched the crowd as well. I watched this one group of lads who were a bit mm. kind of like standoffish mm. about it. Two songs in, they were like literally mm. like swaying and dancing yeah. about and stuff. And it's almost like you give people license to go, get rid of that. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it at the door. Yeah. There's yeah. no need for any of that in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Increasingly, it's I'm I'm realizing like my goal is to shed all that pretense. Yeah, because I've spent the majority of my life pretending, and it's just exhausting. 
I'm very excited for the rest of my life now in a, in a world where I don't have to do that. Absolutely, because it's that kind of weird pretense where you kind of go, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm really into 80s matchbox, Beeline Disaster, <laughs> but whilst I'm dancing to Christina Aguilera's yeah. Dirty in my living room. Do you know what yes, I mean? Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's what I was doing. For a nothing decade. wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing that's wrong. Me. This is me. Yeah. <laughs> this Look is out, who I am. here I come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I also like this notion that you said about keeping lyrics uncomfortable, mm-hmm. the notion of that. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? I, I, I just feel like there's no point in saying it unless it's uncomfortable or like uncomfortable is for me comfortable like what is uncomfortable is pretending to be cool and pretending to be something you're not it's really hard to talk about because my old band like I've got no malice towards anyone or anything but my emotionalness my earnestness my need to process things through the lyrics was always don't know it just didn't feel uh all right and like not cool and there's just a lot of music out there saying nothing and I and I think it's a cheat and I think it's lazy. therapy to it in terms of it makes you think and it makes you go I do think that why did I not say that or mm. do I have the courage to say that are you the therapist or the patient <laughs> I'm definitely not the therapist <laughs> although I mean I've had so much therapy now that I do sometimes yeah like dilute <laughs> practice <laughs> with my friends yeah. who like if anyone can't afford therapy I'm like okay let me quickly think what my therapist would say about this like or I'm like can I like I'm just everyone needs it everyone needs it and it's like ridiculous that there's any stigma attached to it i think i thought it was a top of the mountain where i would sit happy and finished and the top of the mountain is death right so like this idea that i'll get there was quite toxic i think so yeah i'm always just like i don't know it's a long old game of learning and then yeah well that's it i think to be the therapist you have to have been the patient yeah yeah exactly i'm only just starting to realize this now but like no one's complete no one's finished it's really long and hard if you're lucky I feel like that in my in my job as well. Mm. There's so much stigma attached to age or you're too old to do this, you're too mm. old to talk about that sort of thing. It's like, if there's passion there and a genuine want and enthusiasm for it, it's kind yeah. of like, why not? Yeah. I'm so shocked that the amount of press I now get about how old I am. It's, it, would, <laughs> it wouldn't happen to a man. No. It wouldn't happen to a man. Because it wouldn't. How yeah. many men that are Mercury nominated, yeah. I don't know how many men are, yeah. but whatever age they yeah, are yeah. is their age mentioned no never exactly That's what, it's like constant and it's in plain sight because there's one particular article mm. that highlighted your age was that article written by a man or a woman mm. as well because <laughs> that's an interesting question as well because yeah. I sometimes feel like there's a real conversation that needs to go around about just women being kind to each mm-hmm, other mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. well that's, and celebrating yeah, yeah. each other as well yeah. rather than it being a competition yeah it's still very alive and well nasty bitchiness 
with women, it, even though it's like zeitgeisty to not do that anymore. Like it is so prevalent and, and it's often women that the system has worked for. So yeah. you kind of, I'm always trying to have compassion for people that just haven't got enlightened yet. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But like, poor you is how I'm trying to look at it. But it's minging, in it? It's so it's <laughs> a great word to use to describe it. Minging. It is minging. You're absolutely right. Well, Wordsmith word, over here. <laughs> nice. But, but, it's, but that's like, that, that nails it on the head. That's exactly what it is. It's minging. It is. Sexting you at the mental health talk seems One thing that's an amazing celebration of women creators coming together that you worked on as well is Prima Fassi. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about working with, with Susie Miller, the playwright, and, and Jodie, because I feel like it was very much both their project to start with. I don't know. Yeah, I think well, Susie's wrote the play and they did a run of it in Australia and I th- James, the producer, I think got it to Jodie. And, oh, and wow, it I didn't started. realize it yeah, started yeah. in Australia. Yeah already been a run of it and so. did you had you done the music for no the one Austra- no, oh, okay. no it was just really good to see like producers producing really well like i've, I've had a been burnt a bit in trying to do theater and james knew that i mean prioritized pleasure could have scored it anyway he was like this is a good match would you do it and obviously i was like yeah but i've never done anything like this before and was full of self-doubt and whatever but then i just sort of got on with it and it was so the play deals with exactly what i'm banging on about every day in my life just in a different arena yeah, I just trusted my gut again. Again, a bit dangerous, but I trusted my gut, and it went really well. And really, and it was kind of easy in a way. I mean, I feel like I didn't take a breath for the hour of forty that Jodie was on stage. You know, it's kind of this—it's like a machine gun of dialogue, and this performance is so nuanced and so emotional. The journey that this character goes on, and your music is kind of peppered throughout. And then at the end, we have this track one and three. Uh-huh. It does two things. It's sort of—it's kind of going. It's all right, mm. and kind of almost cuddles you as well in the same yeah. way. The point of the play is just like, and the point of my, even my record, it's like, we are stuck with this world that treats women like this. We are stuck in this cycle of, there's so little justice for any of that. Any of the sexual assaults I've had, nothing will ever happen, you know? And and you're just sort of left with this, like, you've got to live with it and you've got to not put it away, but like, get used to it underscoring your life. And yeah, yeah I suppose that was what I was thinking. That ending is hopeful though, because you can get joy again. And defiance for me is the best place to channel it. And by just existing at all, it, I, I, I've won. But yeah, we, really weird, like that whole bit in it. I <laughs> just like just noodling on a MIDI keyboard and went, okay, I think that's it. It was like so spooky that wow. I just, yeah, like. It came out of you. Yeah, it's really weird and dangerous. My next album's going to be very weird because I'm like, oh, we're trusting my gut this year. <laughs> Have you started? Yeah, I've done a bit, yeah. Started and I wrote a song about the same old bloody girlfriend I've been going on about for four albums. I'm like, God's sake! It's that, it's that imagination again. 
that fantasy? I should do a yeah, no, concept album about Babylon Sorceress and stuff. That's a bit healthier. That's less toxic, <laughs> for God's sake. No, it's not. It's what we, it's not, we, want, it, we, want, it, we want more. Every time like anything's emotionally difficult, my bestie's like, it's good for the album. I'm like, when are we going to start doing that? When can I just be like Ed Sheeran saying, when you wake up in the morning, I love your bed hair. To my nice girlfriend, who do I mean? Like, what would Rita Ora do, Rebecca? What would Rita Ora do? (laughs) I'd like to love your kind of like, what would Rita Ora do thing that you do? Brilliant. I don't see what's the difference between me and Rita Ora, but it looks like our lives are very different, and I'm not sure why. (laughs) At the minute. And <laughs> um, listen, I can't wait to watch again at All Points East. Um, oh, yay! And, be um, there, yeah, yeah, I can't wait. And I really hope that after hearing this, more people start using the word minging because it's something that needs to be used much more often. Um, thank you so, so, so uh, much. Oh, no, for I never time. want to leave you. <laughs> Why? Why not All Points know. East? Please. Okay, yeah, wine. Cool. okay, done. Yeah. done. Great. <laughs>
only I could spend all day, every day with Rebecca. Uh, if you haven't seen her live before, I highly recommend you try and get along to All Points East this Friday, that's the 19th of August, where she's part of a stellar lineup that includes Gorillas, Idols, and Femi Kuti. Now, someone else who will be gracing London's Victoria Park for the festival is Alex Crossan, who you'll more likely know as Muramasa. Having cartwheeled onto the electronic music scene in his teens, Alex has collaborated with the likes of Charlie XCX and Nile Rodgers, delivered two wildly contrasting albums with a third on the way in September. And he's developed a reputation as one of the most innovative producer-songwriters around, all of which make him a perfect fit for Play Next. Alex, thanks so much for coming and chatting to us on Play Next. It's a real treat, to be honest, because oh. I've been such a, a fan of your music and really always excited when I hear about new releases, but don't really know that much about you, which is a good thing, I think, in this world that we live in. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's semi-intentional. Oh, okay. I was about to ask you some deep probing questions then. So, No, go ahead. I'm an open book. Feel free to just pass on them as if we were doing a quiz. <laughs> But I, I wanted, if you don't mind, before we talk about the new record and collaborations and just your journey as an artist, talk about starting out and how that was for you. And if you, I don't know, if you'd set your sights on what it was that you wanted to do as a, you know, it's hard to describe you really as a musician, as a producer, as a, <laughs> yeah, you tell me. I don't know. I've, start, I've taken to calling myself a curator. That feels like the best name for it, just because... Sometimes what I do isn't creative. It's just about giving someone else a really nice stage for them to be creative. Mm, that feels nice, doesn't it? Yeah, or platforming other people in some way. or Yeah, that feels good to me. I mean, obviously I make music, but that's only one part of it in my brain. Did you know what kind of music you wanted to make? Because as a music fan, it feels what's wonderful is when you feel an artist explore and you feel that they're on a journey as well as you listening to their music, that they are making it. Is that part of the joy of being a curator is you are on this journey of making the music that you want to make and it doesn't have to fit into anything specific? Yeah, it used to be something I was really scared of because I think one of the easiest ways to sort of be marketable nowadays is if you've got a thing. But I used to think that without that, there's an inability to sort of get your claws into an audience. Mm -hmm. But really, I've sort of gotten over that in the past few years, being lucky and kind of being successful, just doing stuff that I am interested in at that moment in time, even. Yeah, I don't want to be boxed in. It's, got, it's also yeah. kind of a sort of subversive thing where it's like, I don't want someone to have an expectation of me and then fulfill it. That feels really boring. <laughs> is that something you have to make a point of doing is to stay outside of those boxes and to not be kind of pigeonholed is that the harder option almost yeah I think nowadays that is more difficult just because the expectation on you as an artist is that you owe your audience a lot of information about what you're doing all the time <laughs> even yeah. though the whole thing is just sort of a casual facade for marketing music in, <laughs> in the first place it's like you're expected to feel like everyone's friend and that everything you have to give belongs to them which is true to a point it's like you know I really want to offer something honest and vulnerable but I want to do that on my terms and yeah. not just have to post all the time about what I'm doing I mean the other day a person came into my dressing room at a festival just like a fan who had meandered their way backstage and sort yeah. of came in 
expecting a photo and it was such a violation it was like this is supposed to be the the safest place yeah in this whole festival for me and it was right after the show I was trying to relax I wasn't that angry at him I just thought it was unusual and I almost empathized for that person because I was like you really came here thinking that yeah this is okay I was gonna be like hey man like this is cool yeah so I think there's an expectation sometimes for you to live your life like a bit of an open wound yeah especially from industry folk as well it's like well why aren't you taking advantage and marketing yourself and stuff party in your dressing room at all points east well yeah exactly <laughs> well you know if it's if it's the right vibe and the right people sure now i've made it sound like i'm a sort of ruthless isolated <laughs> no but there's got to be boundaries you've got to be able to hold on to an element of your privacy yeah, like mystery and sort of enigma and unanswered questions are like pretty radical now. Like with so much information, it's mm-hmm. like if there's something that you can't possibly know or find out, it's quite interesting. It's a tension and release thing. You know, you, you leave little breadcrumbs and you engage when you feel it's appropriate. But I don't know, it's not a very popular thing to say. Probably going to get some tweets like, yo, like we're the ones who support you. Like and that is true. Um, what was the journey to this new record, Demon Time? Because, you know, third record and it's been, as I say, you know, that journey for us as music fans through, you know, that self-titled debut to RYC in, in 2020 to this record. It's, it's exciting to see your journey. But for you, where was that starting point for Demon Time? Oh, I hate talking about pandemic and lockdown, but it is relevant. We can call it something else. We can have a code name. The dark times. <laughs> yeah, the start of the pandemic was kind of me being taken off of the RYC tour like halfway through uh finding myself just sitting at home like I'm supposed to be on a world tour right now and just being really depressed honestly and kind of a lot of things coming home as I'm sure that a lot of people had where it's like okay now I've actually got time to think and to not be busy there's a lot of things that need sorting out here just mental health wise and kind of lifestyle wise and yeah there was a lot of unearthing to do and that probably took me you know six to eight months to just sort of sit and really be miserable and do nothing and you know I had a lot of things to change uh in order to just be happy not Mm -hmm. being productive and things like that so I almost took a step away from music actually and there's a great Tom York interview where he talks about like we've got to be ready to burn the whole thing down at any point otherwise like you know it's kind of meaningless and you're just uh holding on to it for no reason yeah so I sort of quit and like genuinely quit you can't be like okay I'll say I'm quitting but then I'll go back to it and it'll be better than ever. Uh, you have to really believe like, maybe I'll never do that again, which was sad, but it was really freeing. And actually from that freedom was born the kind of counter thought of like, well, everyone's really miserable right now and wrapped in solitude and isolated. And I thought I was supposed to be making music about that. But then the revelation was just kind of like, actually, we should be making music to dig us out of that feeling when the time comes that we can be together again. And you know, what is the opposite of what's happening right now? Well, it's this idea of like demon time, which is something that we were missing, which is the kind of 1am to 6am, a little bit drunk with the people you love, maybe doing stuff that you might regret, but not really secretly. You're quite happy it happened, things like that. I think we lost a lot of that mischief uh, in lockdown. That became the, the motivating force behind the music. And from that feeling of like spontaneity and just kind of like desiring fun, all the music just came out of that. So it's quite a varied bunch of music, but it has, it all shares the same kind of um, 
spiritual linchpin. I'm really going <laughs> in on the on the vocab. I love it. Or it's just a bunch of fun dance music that sounds good and has some <laughs> yeah. forward thinking ideas. It, both are true, you know. And some great collaborations again on the Schwerkart. Yeah. Because I want to talk about Gretel Hanlon, who I've discovered through your music, who's amazing. Where did you find her? Oh, I wish it was some like, oh, I heard her busking on the canals of Venice and <laughs> immediately flew her back to London. No, um, with Gretel, I first saw her doing covers on Instagram and just felt that she had an incredible voice. And then through you know one means or another, we ended up with the same management um, and so had a lot of cause to hang out and get to know each other. I just think she's a genius. She's a little genius. She's a visionary. Her music is kind of, I guess you'd call it alternative rock or something. It doesn't, genre is kind of irrelevant nowadays. But I think with guitar music, it's such a well-trodden path and you really need someone who's got a spectacular mind to kind of like shake up lyrically and thematically and melodically um, in order to make that kind of music interesting. She really does that. I could talk about her for hours. (laughs) Well, listen, as well as Gretel featured on your record, she's got her own debut record, Slug Eye, and I think we should play something from that. So this is Gretel Hanlon and Motorbike.
oh, how good is that? From her debut album, Slug Eye, that's Motorbike from Greta Hanlon, who also features on the track together from Muramasa's album, Demon Time. Let's take her as an example on the track together for your record. How does that collaboration start? Are you just hanging out and writing music together? Or what's the sort of journey of, of that particular song, for example? That one's a super interesting example or not interesting depending on how you look at it because uh, I wrote that song I wrote the whole thing and sung it and I had it and it sort of was in my voice and I wasn't really feeling it and kind of I couldn't reconcile the fact that it was me on the record I've sung on records mm. before but this one just didn't feel right it felt like it needed someone a bit more vital and kind of earthy I just thought that Gretel would be a very good person to sing it she came around the next day we cut the vocal we changed some bits to suit her we recorded some funny screams and laughs and distorted stuff and yeah supernatural <laughs> yeah kind of use of a of a close friend but all the all the collaboration stories on the album are completely different what was the trickiest well baby cakes which was the first single that was the first kind of beat that i had made with this idea in mind of like, oh, I should just be having fun and like making silly, fun music with ridiculous ideas. Getting Lil Uzi Vert to kind of trust me on that record, that was a real process that took months and months. Eventually ended up meeting him and hanging around in the studio for a while and kind of working on stuff with him and a couple of other rappers. Like Playboy Carti was there, Skepta was there. It's kind of a weird evening for me. <laughs> but yeah, like getting him involved in that record was like something I was really desperate to do because I wanted to juxtapose his kind of revolutionary take on US rap and punk rap with Baby Cakes, which is like a classic kind of UK-centric tune. So yeah, stuff like that was was tricky to pull together, but ultimately very worth it. And I think it really adds to the ethos of kind of the record yeah well i think that you yourself have sort of described as a kind of musical andy warhol and that picture you just painted there is exactly that you know in terms of how those situations where he has this environment whether it's his own or externally that people feel they can contribute that's where collaboration really works and everybody kind of benefits and learns and grows from it really it's something i'm trying to get better at because uh, I'm not really a social animal and I'm aware that Warhol was literally the party center of New York at his peak. But I'm, I'm building a kind of factory style studio space in Peckham to kind of get this going and introduce artists to one another. And there's a real emphasis in the design on like social space. There's like a big living space in the middle and a roof garden and kind of and it's not just for musicians either. There's like a team of directors who are going to move in there. So yeah, I'm trying to, I'm really trying to get on my Warhol, uh, my Warhol biz. <laughs> That's awesome. How does someone kind of access that kind of thing? You know, in terms, because this is going back to what you start, said at the very start is like that idea of, you know, as well as being an artist and a curator, one of the things that you love is kind of giving people the opportunity to you know, to shine together, whether that's a platform or, mm. or or an opportunity to work together sort of thing. It's, it seems like it's something that's really, really important to you. Yeah, it's actually a really difficult question because this is where you get the sort of intersection of like making it accessible for everyone, but also like being curatorial in your taste and kind of like only allowing access to people who are really like doing interesting stuff, but without gatekeeping, you know, 
I mean, one thing we're doing is we're having one of the rooms be a kind of community centric room that will be sort of on a residency basis for like a local artist in South London and just allow that for, for free, you know. And hopefully that will kind of onboard some people who wouldn't necessarily have access to not just the studio equipment, but a space like that where there's people coming in and out and kind of opportunities to rub elbows with people. So I guess that's one way, but to anybody listening, you know, just move to South London and start making really good music. You'll probably hear about it. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to, to seeing you at All Points East. I mean, how is live experience for you now? You know, you talk about having to kind of almost pause that tour really you know back in 2020 sort of thing that that must be such a hard thing to kind of do when that momentum's there and that energy's there as well of just celebrating your music with fans did it make you come back to live in a different way or what's what's your live kind of set up at the minute I did have to change my approach I mean basically just for a bit of inside baseball I guess the Americans call it I was touring with a band for for RYC because obviously that music is very guitar led and kind of it needs a real drum kit really. And I spent thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds putting together this like amazing show. And we played Alexandra Palace. We we got that one out of the way, which was fantastic. But then we were banking on being able to play the shows basically to make the finances of it work out. Mm. Just about. I was still going to lose money, but I just really thought that it was going to be wicked. And it was when we were able to do it. So yeah, like it really burnt me having to cancel that. So basically what I've done is gone back to my pre-band setup to kind of have a bit of recovery. And also because the music spiritually has kind of moved away from that aesthetic and more into a kind of, I don't know, I'm going for a kind of Daft Punk thing now where it's just me. And uh, I have a touring vocalist called Fliss who's like, a force of nature and she does all the uh all the feature parts because it's quite hard to get everyone together <laughs> where did you find fliss yeah I, well i was gonna get onto that i um <laughs> sort of recruited her out of music school we did some auditions we were trying to find someone who could at the drop of a hat transform into charlie xy hex or <laughs> uzi vert or pink panther s or you know that person does not exist like it's cruel to ask someone, to expect of someone the ability to do that. But Fliss can do it. She's probably the only person in the world that can do it. And sort of in the tradition of like electronic group front women and men, you know, like groups like Chasing Status and The Prodigy and kind of, you know, some of the great rave acts of like the 90s and noughties, they have these front people who are just like inhuman performers. And I think training someone up to do that and kind of someone having the natural talent to do that is like an impossible thing to find. So I'm feeling very blessed. And I thank her profusely before, during and after every show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to watch this all point cease. I'm so excited. That's going to be good. Before I let you go, Alex, if you're approached by a, a, a young artist, musician, whatever path they want to take, you know, whether it is a kind of similar curatorship or they want to be upfront, man or woman, uh, whatever that is, what's your advice? I mean, the chief advice isn't really very good advice, but it's just like, don't sweat it. Like, don't overthink what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That's actually one of the like deepest things that you learn as an artist, I think, as you get older. Now I'm still trying to figure out how to get my head around. It's just like really the magic of the creation and art happens when you're not thinking. It's like spontaneity and pure instinct is where you get like the most honest mm. and kind of vulnerable work. But also just like one thing I wish I would have known is like 
you think you're doing yourself a favor by adapting what you do to emulate other people or to impress a certain type of audience, but really you're doing yourself dirty because the thing that is going to get you in the door is the thing that only you can do. It's your perspective and your influences and the thing that you think is really cool, but no one else understands, you know? So shoot for that instead of trying to like fit into some box that you're perceiving. Alex, it's been an absolute treat getting to chat to you. I feel like I know you a little bit better now as well. So I might be the one come, coming by for a selfie at all points east, so I apologise in advance. You know what? <laughs> if you come, you can have a selfie. I'll allow yes! That. I will hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, it's, it really is great to chat to you. And I wish you, um, I mean, have a great show as well at all points east and, 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 and all the other dates as well and the new record. Huge congratulations and and all the best for that as well. Thank you for your time, Alex. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. What a delightful and lovely and interesting young man. Muramasa is at All Points East on Saturday, the 27th of August, on the same bill as Disclosure, Charlie XCX and James Blake, amongst many others. So that's nearly it from us. But before we go, time for one final track from a band that will also be appearing at the festival on our very own BMW Play Next Stage. I wanted to bring you a flavour of the kind of vibe that you can expect if you're able to join us in East London. So this is Drive from South London, Psych Poppers, Moa Moa. Was there even anything on 
I love the energy of that track. It's got, I don't know, it reminds me of so many of my favourite bands like Arcade Fire or Flaming Lips. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Mo Moa are just one of many breakthrough acts who will be on the BMW Play Next Stage at All Points East. And you can find the full schedule at allpointseastfestival.com. So, there you have it. Many thanks to Self Esteem and Muramasa for joining us, alongside all of the artists who have appeared during our current run. They are Silk, Jonathan Higgs, Atawalpa, Neo, Katie J. Pearson, Wolf Alice, Sipo and Emily Evis. So do check out those episodes if you haven't already, not to mention the 11 from season one. Thanks to you for listening. We hope we've unearthed some undiscovered musical gems for you to add to your record collection along the way too. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so as not to miss out as and when we return. I'm Edith Bowman. And it's been a genuine pleasure to bring you Play Next, the podcast created in partnership with BMW. Take care.